I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another Celtics Blog podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor. I'm going to spend 10, 15 minutes, not too long, just talking about the Orlando win. Then I'm going to be joined by Celtics Blocks' Jesse Sinquini, a new writer that joined the fold, who also has been covering the Grizzlies for a while. So that'll be a good little preview into tonight's game. Before we get into that, though, we need to talk about the Celtics snapping that three-game losing streak against the Magic and what went well, and a lot went well. First and most importantly, the Magic made a run early in the fourth quarter that generally has signaled bad times for the Celtics recently. Celtics generally let their heads drop. They don't rise to the occasion. They don't respond well to the adversity of a team making a run in the fourth. This was a different beast, though. The Celtics allowed allowed themselves to stop the run, allowed themselves to focus on their next possession, and managed to close out the game quite comfortably. This was growth, definite growth from a team that have been rather susceptible to lapses in confidence, especially down the stretch. Seeing the team close out a win is important. I know a lot of people out there will be saying, well, it was against the Magic, so it's not that impressive. A win is a win, and you can only beat the team that's in front of you at that moment in time. When a team makes a run in the fourth and they really cut down that deficit that you'd built on them, that can be disheartening and being able to pull together as a unit and operate as a team to close that out is encouraging. It's a great sign. So it doesn't matter if it was the Magic, the Hawks, the Lakers, the Clippers. You can only beat the team that's in front of you. And when they go on a run, it feels like the world's against you. So being able to pull through that was super important. I think the growth in ball movement was fantastic. The way that they were zipping the ball around, looking for the next man up. They created a great amount of space with that ball movement, dribble drive, penetration, they were running a lot of double screens, a lot of stagger screens that was opening guys up. And I like that. I feel like that was a nice addition to their pick and roll play. Usually it's just a single screen pick and roll up high. This time they were coming off double staggers. They were coming off pin downs. We got to see a lot. Now, we on this podcast recently, I've been clamoring to see more of Aaron Neesmith. Over the last two games, we've seen Aaron Neesmith. Hasn't been great, to be quite honest with you, but, and I tweeted this yesterday, as much as having a struggling rookie on the floor is a really hard sell, especially against a team that needs to start, well, sorry, especially for a team that needs to start racking up wins as soon as possible, it's tough to kind of sell having someone that struggles so much on the floor. But with no G League, this is going to be the only way that Aaron Smith can get game reps, can get himself up to speed, get used to the brand of basketball that Brad's trying to play, get used to playing against NBA-level competition. So, unfortunately, he's going to need to just play through these errors. We saw a nice uh, three-point shot fall for him, some okay defensive plays, but generally he was getting cooked. Let's not lie. There's no point saying that he played well when he didn't. He got cooked a few times defensively, and that's just going to be part of the growing pains, unfortunately. There's no other way that you can develop him right now. You don't develop sitting on the bench. You could develop in the G League, but there's no G League. And he didn't get flex assigned to the G League bubble. So this is where you are. And you play him as uh, 10 to 15 minutes and you just wait for him to just get used to being at this level and kind of start to calm down within his role. 
I would like to see them running him off screens more. He's quite a good movement shooter, so asking him to spot up is taking away one of his better skill sets. Getting him to lift off of a corner pin and take a, a movement jumper from the wing, that kind of feels like he could do well there. Kind of feels like they could use that type of movement shooting as well to put defences in motion. Daniel Tice, I thought, played well. Robert Williams, he had a tough matchup when he was on Vooch, but he provided enough offensively that, you know, you can be okay with that. I think that the big man rotation wasn't too bad. You can see why team people are calling for the Celtics to go and get Vucevic, though, right? Like, the guy's automatic in the block. He was scoring from deep. can score from the mid-range. Personally, his age puts me off a little bit. His defensive downside puts me off a little bit, too. So that's why I'm not as high as some on Vooch. But offensively, he's one of the better offensive bigs outside of the Elite Five that there is. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I don't know what more we can say about these guys when they're on. They're ridiculous, right? They're all-stars. They're high-level wings. Great two-way guys. Both of them can lock guys down. They can play off-board it, on-board it. And it's very rare we see them both hit their stride together. Usually, we'll have a really good game from really good game from JT or a really good game from JB. But it's not usually at the same time. So this was a nice change of pace. Seeing these two light guys up at the same time really kind of drives home how good this team can be as the two Jays continue to develop. I got into a few discussions about Campbell Walker with people yesterday, uh, some on Instagram, some on Twitter. A lot of people are still calling for him to be traded, and I started to really think into this, and I started to look at Gordon Hayward's situation and how it was with Hayward and how everybody wanted Hayward to be traded or to leave, and as Hayward Lee left, Everyone realized how good a player he was and how much of a loss he was for the Celtics. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the same for Kemba, but I'm also saying that be careful what you wish for because a lot of people seem to be very happy to take a negative value trade back for Kemba just to get him off the books. And I'd just, I'd preach caution because Kemba Walker at the end of the day is a lead guard that's still learning how to be a third option himself. And we're seeing that in games like this against Orlando, where he had some really good moments. He was playing some great pick-and-roll play. And then he'd have other moments where he just struggled. He just made the he made the right read, but wouldn't cut afterwards. Or he'd pull up for a jump shot when he looks off somebody that was in a better position than him. And this is a guy that's learning to be a third option. This is a guy that's been the number one primary offensive option his entire career. And now this season, he's being asked to be play third fiddle. It takes time to learn that. It takes time to develop that mentality of, I need to look for options A and B before me. And you can talk about it in press conferences and in practices until you're blue in the face. That's something you need to learn to do through time on the floor. So as we're saying with Neesmith, you need to give him time to develop. It's the same with Kemba. He has to learn to play this role now. This is a role he's never played. He's never been a third option, probably not his entire basketball career and since probably Pee Wee. So you need to give him time. Yes, he's going to struggle offensively sometimes. Yes, the shot's not going to fall because he'll be forcing it and looking for his own more as those shots come to him because he has to defer a bit more than probably what he's used to. Defensively, he's going to struggle too. But at the end of the day, you're not going to bring back a point guard or a guard at the level of Campbell Walker. And when you do need to be get in a position to make him your first option, 
whether that be through injury or through players struggling to see their shots drop. There's not a guy who's playing third fiddle that you could look to to be your primary guy in a moment's notice that you can trust to be as clutch as Kemba. And that's just the way it is. So I'm not too concerned about him or the way he's playing at the moment. I like the fact that he's really embracing that third option role. I like the fact that when the Celtics needed buckets, I think it was in the second quarter last night, it was Kemba that stepped up. I like the fact that it was mid-range shots, pick and pop. I like how he was coming off the screens and scoring. We saw him drive. Luckily, when he got tripped by, I think it was Evan Fournier, the, he came back onto the floor after sitting down for a while, so that's nothing to be too concerned with. We still had some time with semi Ojale. I'm still not sold on where he actually stands in this roster or whether or not he's just playing because of lack of a better option. I felt that we saw some good guard minutes. I feel like we're going, we're finally figuring out what rotations are going to work. I know that after the game, there'd been a um, mention that there was a meeting following the Sacramento game where everybody kind of sat down and asked how they wanted to be remembered and they challenged each other. And this was a really good way to respond to a three-game losing streak by going out there, aiming to set records from the three-point line, aiming to set individual records for most threes in the game. There was a lot of killer instinct on show. Now, the thing is, the Celtics are coming up against a really tough road stretch right now. So this is going to be one of those stretches what are either going to, that's going to define the season, if we're being quite honest. The fact of the matter is we saw a Celtics team that played much better basketball, much more cohesive basketball. A Celtics team that played like we expect them to play in terms of ball movement, penetration, three-point shooting, embracing that three-point shooting, embracing the lob passes to the bigs, trusting each other to make the right play, trusting each other to make the right shot. And there were stretches where the ball just wasn't going in and there were stretches where everybody was on fire and they trusted each other to continue and work their way through the trenches. They're going to need to rely on each other a lot over the next few games, especially as they get deeper into this road trip and legs start to get tired and guys are just sore and cranky from the traveling. I mean, it was like they finished against Orlando a few hours later, they're on a plane to Memphis. They're going to play Memphis, then they're going to be on a plane. Going to have to, uh, a bat, not a bat-to-bat, -bat, but a two-game stretch against Milwaukee, then they're back on a plane. And it's going to be a very good test of a team character and how they can pull together in the face of adversity while doing all of this traveling and being really up against it. We could come out of this with a really good record at the end and all these struggles might be in the past, or they could regress like we've seen them do before. This isn't the first time we've seen the Celtics put on a good performance and we've bought into it then. So we need to hope that they continue to play the basketball that we saw from them against Orlando, that they continue to trust each other and that we can kind of move past these struggles and start looking forward to a playoff run again. Obviously, this week's the trade deadline. So we'd be expecting, hoping, praying even for some form of move, some form of reinforcement, whether that be a big swing or just a couple of moves on the fringes just to shore up that bench with a bit more veteran talent. Either way, let's hope that something happens. If it does, I will release an emergency podcast to recap that as well as I can in the moment. And then obviously I'll do my deep dive and we'll come back and we'll have a real discussion about that. Wednesday, God permitting, will be the locker room live mailbag Q&A that will be taking place today at 4 p.m. Eastern. Feel free to join in. It'll be great to speak to anybody that's listening. It'll be great to 
take time to get to know everybody. If you've got feedback for the podcast, then let me know. I'd be really happy to hear what you guys think, what I'm not doing well, what you think I'm doing well, where you'd like me to change or improve. And that'll be great to have that conversation with you guys. And hopefully I can release that as a podcast on Wednesday if the technical gods allow. After the break, I'm going to be joined by Jesse Sinquini. We're going to talk about what Jesse's read on the Celtics have been up until just before the Orlando game. Then we're going to get his insights on what to expect against the Grizzlies. Jesse's been covering the Grizzlies for SBN Grizzlies for about a year now, and he's recently moved over to cover the Celtics for Celtics Blog. Jesse's great. I've had multiple interactions with him over social media. He's a really nice guy, um, really hardworking guy, loves basketball, knows his ball. So it'll be a good conversation. Everybody, um, please stay tuned until after the break. As usual, please leave that five-star written review, and you'll hear from me again Wednesday. And again, I'll be live today at 4 p.m. on the Locker Room app if you'd like to get involved and we can have a discussion there. And you'll hear from me again after the break. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. There was an early game, which means I realistically should have recorded about it should I know? Yeah, I should. Okay, so I'm going to record about it. So bear with me. All right, everybody, for the second part of this show, I'm joined by Celtics Blogs, one of Celtics Blogs' newest members, uh, Jesse Sinquini. Jesse is new to the Celtics coverage in terms of SB Nation Celtics coverage, but what he isn't new to is the Grizzlies. He's been doing some work over for SBN Grizzlies for probably about a year now, right, Jesse? Uh, yeah, since last July, so almost a year. So Jesse's got a good feel about tonight's opponents in terms of the Grizzlies. If anybody wants some more coverage of the Grizzlies after this, I was on a podcast with Lockdown Grizzlies, so definitely go check that out after this show. Don't stop listening here now. Get through this one. Then you've got a nice one to listen on your commute home if you choose to do so. Jesse, man, um, welcome to the team. First and foremost, uh, it's great to have you on board. I've seen your writing around. I know that you were doing some stuff for... Uh, the playgrounder for Roto Wire. You would, you've been around for a while, man. How does it feel to finally be in the, the one place that you kept telling me you wanted to be? Uh, it feels it's, it's amazing. It feels like all my hard work over the years has paid off. Um, I remember I've wanted to write for Celtics Blog ever since I started writing about basketball when I was 18 or 17. So it's a dream come true. And I'm really excited to like just learn from all these great writers and the great staff at Celtics blog. Yeah, I mean, everyone there's excellent. Everyone's a great, it's a great, great team. I'm happy to have you on board. Uh, before we start gushing about everybody else that isn't on this episode, what we need to do is we need, first of all, I want to get your take on what you think, where you think the Celtics are at right now, what you think their issues are, and then we'll move into what you're expecting to see against the Grizzlies later today. Sounds great. So where, when we're talking about the Celtics, what seems to be your number one floor? Where are they faltering the most for you? So for me, I would say probably the bench unit leaves a lot to be desired. Um, what I've noticed is just that like offensively, the bench really lacks like any real firepower. Um, we tried to sign, sign guys like Teague um, and Thompson, who I thought might be on the bench. I thought they were going to be you know, more offensive spark plugs, but Teague has been really, really, da- like, he's had a down year. Um, 
And guys like Neesmith, who I thought was going to be more of a contributor, just hasn't really seen the court very much. Um, and the Celtics that have seen the court off the bench are really experienced, inexperienced. Um, we kind of just have a group of guys that just seem like there's not really any go-to scorers off the bench, and I think that really hurts the Celtics. Um, I know that they usually try to put one, either one of Tatum or Brown with the bench unit, but even then, that like it's been a struggle to score. So when you're putting Brian or Tatum with the bench unit, my biggest issue there is you're asking them to be playmaker. So it's judge, jury, and executioner, right? You've basically gave them a few jury members that are going to be there in body and spirit, but they're not really going to make the final decision. They're not going to bring that hammer down. And that, to me, is where the biggest issue is with that bench unit. You're asking Tatum and Brian that you're definitely trying to develop as ball handlers and primary creators, but they're not there yet. We're seeing flashes of what they can eventually develop into. And we can, if you look around the league, you can see other teams, um, New Orleans are doing the same thing with Zion, putting the ball in his hands. And you kind of live or die with the mistakes that come because it's a development and progress isn't linear. But they definitely, I agree, they definitely need somebody that can come off the bench and just give them a second scoring out. Let, let, allow Tatum or Brown room to maneuver in terms of if somebody cuts off the initial action you can swing the ball and somebody's available to either catch it on the on the rip through in the lane or be able to pull up from the corners and drain a three in your face they don't really have that at the moment i know a lot of people are calling for rob williams to be moved into the starting lineup and i have my opinions on this but i want to get yours first so where do you stand on moving rob from the bench into that starting five um, I'd love to see him be moved to the starting five. I think he's been like one of the lone bright spots for what has been kind of a dreary season for the Celtics. Um, I just love the way that he impacts the game in just so many ways. Um, he fills up the stat sheet whenever he gets a lot of minutes, points, rebounds, blocks, steals, and he's an underrated passer who can make plays in the short roles. I think you've talked about at length. Um, but yeah, I th I think he would really thrive in um as the starting center and I mean he he impacts winning so I think it's it would definitely be worth to at least experiment with him as the starter. And my pushback, which is my fault, so I want to get your opinion here. So my biggest downswing to moving Rob from the bench to the starting five is you lose that energy injection off the bench. So when the bench unit comes in, it's already quite flat. You're relying on that two-man game between Pritchard and Rob, and then you're relying on one of Jalen or Jason to really be executing at a high level. So by moving Rob into that starting five and then saying to uh, Daniel Tice or more likely Tristan Thompson, you're now our bench big, that energy impact is severely decreased and that means that you really need to build some form of solid foundation before going to that bench unit otherwise it's going to be a struggle i don't know if you agree but that's kind of been my reasoning behind keeping rob on this bench unit because the impact that he's providing off the bench is actually ridiculously valuable for a team that doesn't really have too many difference makers on that second unit yeah, I definitely agree. The one thing I would say is I think if Tristan Thompson came off the bench, the extra possessions he would generate would be valuable. Um the, like that that would help a team that that would help a bench unit that's not great at scoring. It would give them extra opportunities for points. I mean, he's got to start passing out of those offensive rebounds. I mean, that's a uh, it's all well and good keep creating that second possession, but 
using it the way he's using them at the moment, which is ridiculously poor execution, stupid little turn hook shots that just don't seem to be getting the job done. Um, I'd like to see that change. If he's going to be a second unit guy, you want him um, distributing the ball back out to the wings or back out to the corners and allowing a secondary action to kind of evolve nat naturally rather than it just be a post-up, try and bully ball a little bit and then spin for that hook shot that just isn't there. So we've kind of covered um, the main issues. What would you say to the coaching issues at the moment? Do you think that the offense is too simple? Do they need or not structured enough? Do you think it's too free flow and they need to implement some more sets? Where would you like to see Brad change things? Um, I don't think I would say that the offense is too simple, but I think it's pretty apparent that guys are like slow getting into their sets. Um, I think you've definitely mentioned that. And so have others with Celtics blog. Um, just, I think Brad would like to see a little more speed in the actions just um, cause a, a lot of the times we see the Celtics like mustering, it takes them nearly the whole shot clock to muster a decent shot. Um, I would just like them to see, to see them get in their actions quicker. I think that would like, allow them to score more points because right now we're not really seeing them run any transition play so there's no drag screens there's no pistol or 45 as some other people might know it um they're running very little um like half court sets you don't see they're running pin downs and the basic stuff but there's no like um no elbow sets are being called no halt screens or anything like this so it's, that's what i mean by simplified it's very much just a high pick and roll um uh, angle pick and roll or spread offense and then just attack if it breaks down then all we're going to do is reset and rerun that pick and roll or we're going to isolate so by Rigid, adding some rigid rigidity, rigidity, whatever word we're going to use there, by adding making that offense a little bit more rigid, rigid, and implementing some more sets that I understand teams can get wise to over the course of forty-eight minutes. But for sparing use, you might be able to generate some offense to get some other guys going, and I think that that could be an important aspect that Brad needs to look at. This has been the first year where I feel like his X's and O's have been subpar. What do you think of um? Do you think his ATO plays have been like a little lackluster this year? I mean, it's just loads of zipper cuts, right? Like he's getting guys to do zipper cuts straight up the middle, pass it to them into a DHO, and then find somebody on the wing ready for a pull up three. He usually to find Tatum. Um, there's been some good ones as well. Like he'll run like um he's run some Spain pick and roll out of ATOs. He's run some um elbow sets where guys are coming off back cuts and hitting shots and movement, but. It's all well and good being ATOs. You only get so many timeouts a game. You need to be shaped. You need to be calling plays during the actual flow of the game and stretching defenses out with smart ball movement and smart rotations. And that, to me, has been the one flaw that Stevens has never had up until now that is really impacting this offense. But you can only do so much with the limited skill set of the roster that you've been given. And I'm not saying that the players aren't talented, but they're just not experienced enough to execute these type of plays at a high level. Whereas if you look at the Lakers, as much as it kills me to say, um, you know, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, they're running elbow set after elbow set just to get AD open, get AD going. They're coming off back cuts and, um, sorry, they're coming off baseline cuts, hitting screens, hitting a flex screen so the shooter comes in and pinches. There's a lot of complexity to what they do, but they do keep a lot of it for the final closing minutes of the game. 
And generally, they're winning those games because they're waiting to implement a, a, a structured offense until it can really impact winning. Uh, I'd like to see the Celtics maybe take a leaf out of their book. But overall, there definitely needs to be a move or two, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, especially to bolster the bench. We need, like we talked about before, we need a scoring punch off the bench. And I know Harrison Barnes has been a name that's been floated around a lot. And I think he would be an awesome fit in Boston. What do you think? Yeah, I think Barnes would be a great, great fit. Fourth, um, a guy that's a career third or fourth option, can handle the ruck, can defend, can stretch the floor, can score on three levels, has championship experience. Um, wouldn't be, as as a career third, fourth option, he's never going to be upset playing for, uh, behind Kemba, Jalen, and Jason. And I think that he could really shore up that, that um, sorry, that offensive unit. The only problem I do have is it's a clear downgrade from Hayward, but it's a clear upgrade from what you have now. So, so you're falling somewhere in the middle and maybe that's enough, but I just don't think that Harrison Barnes as the only deal is enough to get you over the hump towards contention. The, the East has got deeper this year, and there's just too many really, really good teams at the top of the uh, the top of that mountain that Boston will need to make more than one deal to overcome. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you think the Celtics could realistically trade for any star? Realistically, probably not. Um, hopefully, then yeah. Uh, I think that if you're making a move for a star. Generally, we've seen the packages that are being involved in these types of deals. Uh, the Celtics draft picks, while they do own all of their own, they're not exactly valuable. They're prone to be late first-round picks at best. Uh, the way the Celtics are going, they might become more valuable very, very quickly, at which point you know you keep them and hope you get Cade Cunningham, and then everything changes anyway. Um, it's not going to happen, by the way. That's just another pipe dream. Um, but yeah, I think that there is there's always a way to get one of these stars, but it probably means parting with somebody like Jalen Brown or Tatum. Well, it'll be Jalen Brown, it would never be Tatum. And I just don't think that that's worth it. Um, so I think that the Celtics have had their chance of having multiple superstars on this roster. They've had their chance of having four ridiculously good guys, and they haven't been able to figure out how to share the ball enough in this offensive scheme. So having a couple of third or fourth up high-level like guys who excel at the third or fourth option, I think that could be really beneficial for them. That would be my decision. What do? How do you feel? You might have a different take on this than me. No, I I definitely agree with you for the most part. I would I would love to see a guy like Vucevic on the Celtics, but I really don't think we have like the trade package to to deal for him. Um, wouldn't we have to trade like smart smarter Browns like contract just to match salaries with the Magic? No, because you've got the TPE, so you don't really need to worry about salary matching at that point. Uh, you just need to send enough out to open up a bit more of the TPE. There's only about 19 million, 90.5 available due to the hard cap. So you just need to send out enough salary to open up more of that TPE to absorb that contract coming back. My only point with Vooch is uh, defensively he's quite limited and age, I feel like he's already... At the moment, one of the Celtics' biggest problems is they've straddled a timeline, two timelines. You've, it's been a competitive rebuild, and now you've got a Kemba Walker that's ready, needs to win soon, otherwise it's not going to be at all. And by adding Vooch in, you're really adding to that immediacy. I just, I, I, and I understand why you would do that completely. Um, for me, I don't know why, but I just feel like Vucevic is more of a Spurs-type player 
than a Celtics type player. I'd like I've got I kind of harbour hopes of seeing Vooch in a San Antonio shirt. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. But one of the guys that I have gone on, I've spoke about recently, uh, who could be like an under the radar target that could work and wouldn't eat too much of the TPE, if any at all. Uh, plays for a team that Boston are playing tonight when everyone's listening to this. This is what you call good segueing. Is um, Jonas Valanciunas. I think that Jonas could provide, um, if you can find a way of moving on from Tristan Thompson, Jonas can provide some size down on the block. So uh, he can rebound, he can stretch the floor a little bit, not great, but enough, you know, enough to make defenses respect him, can control the glass, can score down low. And I, d- I don't know, he's he's young, he's only 28, feels like the guy's ready to retire. He's been, it's just, doesn't it? It feels like he's been in the league forever. It does. Um, he's only 28, so he fits that Harrison Barnes type age. Um, and you, if you can pick him up without having to use the TP and swing for Harrison Barnes, I feel I feel very confident about that team um, of Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Barnes, and Valanciunas. I think that's a big upgrade over the current starting five, and it allows you to keep built, keep developing Rob Williams as the the big off the bench while until the end of next year when you make a decision on what to do with Valanciunas's contract. Yeah, I agree. Like. Valentunas is probably one of the more underrated players in the league. He's a double-double machine, and while he is kind of a a subpar pick-and-roll defender, um, so is Trist... I mean, Thompson isn't great either, so... I mean, most bigs that are outside of the Elite Five uh, are subpar pick-and-roll defenders. That's generally... You just put them in drop and you hope for the best. It can never be as bad as what we had with Cantor. True. How do you think he'd fit with the Celtics schematics? Valanciunas? Yeah. As a like as a DHO type of guy. DHO, pick and roll. Um, just a guy to offer a bit of vertical spacing. And then he could also play a bit of pick and pop. I think his pick and pop game with Kemba would be really encouraging. Yeah, I'd honestly like to see him shoot threes a little more often. And I think with the Celtics, he probably would. Because um, the Grizzlies aren't a huge three-point shooting team. They lead the league in points in the paint. It's kind of their identity. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think Valanciunas is a capable shooter, and he could do some damage with Walker, either in the pick-and-roll or the pick-and-pop. And what have you seen from Memphis? You see how we segued? We're on to Memphis now. I like this. So, um, you, you obviously, you cover Memphis. You have done for nearly a year. How, how do you feel they kind of match up against the Celtics right now. I know that they've kind of moved into having a shooter next to Jar to open up driving lanes for Jar, which makes perfect sense to me. Generally, it's Grayson Allen. Sometimes they'll slot Bain in there. You've got De'Anthony Melton, who is a young version of Marcus Smart, fantastic point of attack defender on the perimeter. How do you think they match up at, the, at this current day with the way the Celtics' form has been? How do you see this game going? Um... I think it's going to be closer than the last time they played. It was a Celtics blowout, and Jalen had 42 points. Um, I think Dylan Brooks is going to – he's like a – he's a competitor. I mean, he's a – he gets after it. He's a he's a dog. Um, he's going to be on Jalen Brown like white on rice, I think. Not to say that Jalen's going to have a bad game, but I really don't think he's going to drop 42, and I'm sure he took that performance personally. Um I think the Celtics will win in the end. Um, the Grizzlies, like, 
I mean, they have they've lost a lot of close games this year, and I think that'll probably follow against the Celtics team with Tatum and Brown, and they don't really have the the go to scorers to to kind of go toe to toe with those guys. I mean, Dylan Brooks as a defender has improved exp- um, exponentially this year. Led the league in fouls last year. Really gets after guys. Really does. Lacks the length to be an impactful off-ball defender, in my opinion. I think his wingspan is just a little bit too small. Height maybe um, goes against him as well. But he gets under guys' skin. He really does play hard-nosed defense. I do think he might have took it personally, but I, I do think that because of the way he, the type of defense he plays, there's a world where Jalen Brown can bait him into fouls and kind of get him into foul trouble early. And if I was Jalen Brown, that would be exactly what I'm trying to do. You know this guy has a record for getting hands-on and getting physical. Draw those fouls early, send him to the bench, and then put the Grizzlies under pressure on how to switch defenses onto Jalen and Jason. The big point of why why the Celtics won by a blowout last time was because there was no Jar Morant. There is Jar Morant this time. No, still no Jaron Jackson Jr., but they have Jar. Um, one of my opinion is one of the Celtics' biggest struggles at the moment is guarding dribble drive penetration. It's been a struggle all through the Brad Stevens era. This year, I just feel like they're over collapsing on those drives, which is allowing easy kickouts to shooters. And then it's a scramble. And one of the best things about putting a shooter next to Jar, someone like Grayson Allen, who they've been using a lot, is the fact that it allows Jar to do get into these lanes and work the seams of these dribble drives. And the Celtics will have to respect those and have to collapse to close that um, that driving lane. And then there's going to be open shooters. However, the Grizzlies, as you said earlier, are a point score, a paint scoring team. Their corner threes just aren't there this year. They don't seem too great from the corners. How do you see them? If the Celtics manage to shut out Jar, if they figure a way to kill those driving lanes, where's their offense going to come from? Um. I I wouldn't be surprised if Val, if they dump it down to Valanciunas more often than usual. Um, I I'm not sure how great guys like Tyson Thompson are going to defend him inside with his combination of strength and touch. Um, but I'm I'm not sure the Celtics will be able to cut off Morant's driving lanes a hundred percent because drive and kick is the Grizzlies like that's one of their main scoring methods and. They're gonna find a way to to get Jaw downhill because that's that's their offensive game. That's that's how they that's how they score at a high level. So, and that's going to be the big, that's going to be the chess match, right? I mean, chess match is figuring out how to keep Jar in that mid range area, force him to take take contested jumpers, close those passing lanes, which Tatum is excellent at doing. Brown's got the wingspan to be able to do that too. But you need to be able to do that consistently without overhelping. And that's going to be a big thing is helping off the weak side corner is something that's predicated in the Celtic system and something that they've really been getting hurt on this year. So if Jar can consistently find that weak side man in the corner, even if he just drives the game and kicks for a, a tertiary action, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is the Celtics are very tough. Um, sorry, the Celtics are finding it very tough to defend when they're in rotation at the moment. So I'm curious about how that's going to work. On the opposite end, how are the Grizzlies doing at stopping um, pick-and-roll actions? Because we know the Celtics are going to run a bunch of that high pick-and-roll. Um, so when they have Xavier Tillman 
in the game. I think he's honestly like a very he's really impressed me a lot as a defender and as a pick and roll defender. Um I think he's leaps and bounds already ahead of Valanciunas as far as just defensive IQ, like defensive instincts. Um but yeah, with Valanciunas it can definitely be sort of a struggle. Um I'm sure the the Celtics will ex- the starting five of the Celtics will try to exploit Valanciunas and try to get him moving and just try to to make him work defensively. And the the Grizzlies are running um, Dylan Brooks at the three, right? They're running um, so it's usually Jar Grayson, Dylan, and then who who are they starting at the four? Uh, Kyle Anderson. So slow mo. And then Valentunas. And it, uh, go, any Celtics people listening, the reason he's called slow mo is because Kyle Anderson always looks like he's playing in slow motion. Um, but he's genuinely quite effective, uh, d- uh, offensively mainly. Dylan Brooks as a free, um, I think he's a little bit undersized there. Maybe. I think that Jalen Brown could end up really torching him again for an, um, a beat, mainly after dribble, right? I feel like if. Um, if Jalen's being expected to do any work off the catch, then Dylan Brooks is going to be able to get under and contest the shot. I just don't know if Dylan Brooks has the physical attributes to keep up with Jalen when he's um, attacking off that dribble, just because of the explosiveness and the handle and the way that Jalen likes to do that kind of like a uh, one foot pivot turnaround jumper around the uh, the paint. That's so pretty and so annoying at the same time. Uh, <laughs> what's Jar's defense been like this year? Because I know that obviously most offensive point guards in their sophomore year generally struggle to contain guys on the defensive end. Uh, yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's been kind of a struggle for job defensively this year. Um, Joe Molinax actually wrote a really good article just covering how he's been kind of getting killed. Um, like in the pick and roll, he's, he's letting guys like get, get steps on him. And like, I'm not, not great with X's and O's, but, but yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's al- allowing one of the highest opponent field goal percentages in the league among point guards. Um, so he, there's definitely a room for him to grow. He he could put on a few pounds of muscle, not enough to slow him down, but he could use some more bulk. Um, and and some just like he kind of gets baited into fouls too if he's if he's like to the guy's back. Um, so yeah, so the, we're recording this on Sunday before the um, the Magic game. Is it the Magic? The Grizzlies? Yeah, so, no, the Magic played on Sunday, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So we're recording this before the Magic game. Um, so we don't know if Kemba Walker is going to play in this one, but generally Kemba's playing the first game of the back to back and not the second. So if Kemba does play today on Sunday against the Magic, then he won't be on the floor to toy with um, Jar Morant, which I, I could understand if Brad decides to keep Kemba for tomorrow instead. But if Kemba isn't playing and we're relying on uh, Marcus Smart or a Jeff Teague, or hopefully more likely a Peyton Pritchard, how do you feel that Jar's going to do against those guys defensively? Because against Kemba, you're going to take Kemba every day, five days, seven days a week. But against someone like Jeff Teague or Marcus Smart, as a defensive player for Morant, how is he going to cope against somebody that's just not at an elite level in terms of scoring production? Um, I don't think he would have a problem with like Teague. Um, the one thing about Morant on defense that has been like a positive this year is I think he's still solid at getting steals. Um, and 
so yeah, I think he could like kind of harass Teague a little bit with the ball in his hands, but I don't I don't really see Smart being a ball handler, so he would probably like he probably wouldn't impact Smart a whole ton like playing off ball. But but yeah, I think he could give Teague a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I think anybody can give Teague a little bit of trouble. Um <laughs> to, to be quite honest, I mean, I can see them running smart at the point. Is it smart's their best playmaker by quite a considerable amount at the moment? So, giving smart the keys to the offense is probably a very comfortable way to go if you don't have Kemba Walker there. Um, I also think that if you manage to do that and give smart the keys to the offense, allow Jalen and Jason to work off ball more, then you're going to get a lot better movement off ball and a lot better rotations, and that might actually help attack a team that have got a very good interior presence in Jonas, in Brandon Clark, in Xavier Tillman. The scary part is the last two guys I just mentioned, Clark and Tillman, can both stretch the floor, and that's going to give Boston nightmares. I want to put you on the spot here. Uh, what is going to be your... Who are going to be your top scorers from each team, and what's going to be the final score? So I'm going to say final score is... Celtics 110, Grizzlies 102. I'll say the leading scorer for the Celtics is Tatum with 32, and Ja gets 24. That's actually a really believable line. Um, I, I, I have no pushback. I was expecting it to be wild, but that's actually a really fair, reasonable line. Thank Damn you, Jesse. Um Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm excited for this game. Is there anything else that you want to touch on that you kind of came into this episode hoping to speak about before we let everybody get on with their day? Uh, no, nothing that I can think of. No, there wasn't one specific point you were like, I'm going to make sure I hammer this point home. No? I'm sorry, not really. <laughs> That's fine, dude. It's fine. Right, Jesse, thank you for joining the show. Before you go, let everybody know where they can find you. And obviously let them know what pieces you've wrote for Celtics blog recently in case they want to go through the archives and find them. Uh, so I've written an article about um, Jeff Teague's recent play. He's well, before the all-star break, he had a solid stretch of salt of um, good play off the bench. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Jesse. So it's C I N Q U I N I J E S S E. And everybody, I'll make sure to include the handle and uh, if I can find it, a link to Jesse's latest article in the description of the podcast. So it'd be nice and easy for you guys to kind of follow that over. Jesse, thank you again for joining us, man. I've had a great time. Uh, guys, um, girls, sorry, everybody, I hope that we have that win. I'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, with the technical gods allowing, it will be that mailbag episode from Locker Room. If the technical gods decide not to allow, then um, I don't know what to tell you. I'll try and figure something out. Um, and then you'll catch me again on Friday. As usual, please consider leaving that five-star written review. If you don't want to leave a review, but you still like the show, then go and recommend us to friends and family that are Celtics fans. And we will catch you again soon. Jesse, thank you very much again, buddy. Thank you so much, Adam. It was it's great to be here. <laughs>